Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Genesis chapter um, 27. I'm not going to have you stand for the scripture reading because you couldn't handle it. Um, You know, um, humanity has walked away from God. That's how the story of the Bible starts, right? God makes this um, awesome uh, place for us, and yet we... um, we walk away, the earth's growing darker, but God intervenes and he chooses um, one man through whom he's going to work through his family. His name is Abraham. That's, um, that's 4,000 years ago. Our country is 250 years old. 4,000 years ago, God chooses Abraham. And so someone in Abraham's line in every generation is going to be the carrier of the promise, the carrier of the seed, where the Bible's moving. It's going somewhere. It's going towards Jesus. It's going towards new heavens and new earth. All the way back there, God's working. He's at work. He's advancing the story. And one day, one of those descendants of Abraham will be the Messiah. He will be the the restorer of all things. Uh, he will come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And uh, that's where we are. So we're here. Abraham um, has Isaac. Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, have twins who wrestle in the womb. And Esau is born first, Esau and Jacob. And the question of this um, passage, Genesis 27, is which one of those is the carrier of the line of blessing? Got it? Jacob or Esau. So here we go. Genesis chapter um, 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. So take your weapons, quiver, bow, go out to the field and hunt game and prepare for me delicious food food that I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. By the way, Ray and Kathy Kanata are here. Now, normally in the middle of the reading, I wouldn't um, uh, recognize a friend of mine. Uh, They're here from New Orleans. Why don't you stand up, let everybody just say hello to you guys. Uh, um, Ray's a pastor. uh, so uh, they have a little storm. Katrina blows through New Orleans, uh, destroys the whole city, and uh, um, that's the weekend Ray visits to consider whether going to New Orleans as pastor. He chooses to go to a church where everybody's gone. Everybody leaves the city. Everything's destroyed in the city. Why would anybody in their right mind do that? Because that's what Christians do. Because we find broken places and we go there uh, with uh, uh, the love and hope of Jesus Christ uh, to bring the love of Christ to broken people and broken places. So to get to know that city, what did he do? He ate in every single restaurant in the um, city. I'm not talking about Arby's. I'm talking about restaurants. And, um, and that was like 700 and plus restaurants. So some reason I think of him when I read about um, <laughs> Isaac, um, a man who is run by his stomach, uh, his palate. Um, uh, Anyway, on we proceed. Um, 
So Isaac wants uh, Esau to bring him his favorite meal uh, before he dies so he can bless him. But somebody else heard uh, besides Esau. It says in verse 5, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So Esau went to the field to hunt for the game. Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore... Obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats so that I can prepare from them delicious food for your father as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, there's a problem with your plan, right? I am, um, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am smooth. Perhaps my father will feel me and I will seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing So Rebekah said, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. His mother prepared delicious food as his father loved. And Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, who were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob And Jacob went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of the game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Well, because the Lord your God granted me success. So, so um, Jacob swears to his father in the name of the Lord. What do we call that? Blasphemy, right? Um, He lies, invoking the name of God. Then Isaac said to Jacob, well, please come near to me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the, the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. This is the fifth test he gives. So... Jacob comes near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and he blessed him. See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely left the presence of his father, Esau comes in. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He's wailing, right? And he said to his father, bless me. 
even me also, my father. But Isaac says, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, the supplanter? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? And Isaac answered, behold, I have made him Lord over you. And all his brothers have give, I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And he lifted up his voice and he was weeping. And Isaac answered, behold, this blessing sounds more like a curse. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. And away from the dew of heaven on high, by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent calling for Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau comforts himself by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. What a gift, what a gift to us that we have the word of God. Jesus, help us. Come and minister to us. We are stubborn people. Um, we don't like to be taught. Well, God, give us ears to hear. Your kind words, your challenging words. Come and speak to us, Jesus. This day, this day before Thanksgiving in 2022, May your blessing fall this day. Amen. All right. Here's the point of the passage, right? Who's going to get the blessing, right? Who's going to get the blessing? Blessing appears in this passage 22 times. Do you know the power of the blessing? Now, I'm not talking about Southern culture, right? You know how they say it in Southern culture? Oh, Oh, bless your heart. Usually in a way that means exactly the opposite of what they're saying. Oh, bless your heart. Come, come here and let me just hug your neck. Bless your heart. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Old Testament blessing, the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. What does that mean, his face to shine upon you? What would that mean? The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. It means that, that you and nobody and nothing would have the face of God. That his face would be attentive to you. That you would have his blessing, his favor, his attention. That's what we're talking about. The blessing. Um, the blessing to have it is make or break. To have it makes your life, to not have it, well, who could bear? 
You know, to not have the blessing is to have the what? What's the opposite of the blessing? It's the curse. It's the curse to be without the blessing. Listen, every pastor, every counselor knows that in our office comes a steady stream of people who receive from their mother, their father, someone prominent in their life, words that curse them, words that wounded them. Just outside church a couple weeks ago um, was a man who came uh, to tell me um, that he'd come to understand the, 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 the deep well of anger that he has inside of him that, that has erupted at times in his life that's just brought um, um, wreckage into relationships in his life. Um, he said when he was a child, when, uh, when he would speak, when he would try to share, when he would voice an opinion, when he'd even just tell the events of the day, his father would often cut him off, show his utter disinterest, um, and even hit him. Remember his father even striking him in the mouth to shut him up. And inside of him grew this um, longing, you know, this urge, this need to say, I will never be disregarded like that again. When we're little, maybe they taught you, as I was taught, sticks and stones may what? Oh, they may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Gosh, what an ugly lie that is, right? Sticks and stones can only break your bones, but words, they can break your soul. They can break your spirit. Um, that's why it's so important, those who have the power to give words, the difference they can make. Listen, I'm an old guy, but I can remember in fifth grade Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher saying to me one day, Raymond, God is going to do amazing things with your life. You see, a blessing has almost a prophetic edge to it, doesn't it? It's almost maybe seeing something to affirm in a person, but it's also almost saying, I see the future. I see where this is going to go. I'm calling this good thing out in you. Why do I remember that? I don't remember anything any other Sunday school teacher said to me, ever. Why do I remember that? It has power, right? Remember when I was in graduate school, driving out to Key Biscayne from Miami, it was about an hour drive out there, trembling because in my hand was a, a cassette of my preaching. Such a treasured item. <laughs> and I was gonna put it on the desk of one of the preeminent pastors in all of America named Steve Brown, and he was gonna put it into a cassette player and we were gonna listen to it together. <laughs> How humiliating. And I still remember bringing that cassette and, and he put it in and, and, uh, and uh, he play, turns on the tape recorder and he listens, not long, he couldn't take it any more than you can. <laughs> and, um, and when he turned the cassette, uh, tape off. He, we talked a little. He turned it on, listened a little more, turned it off, turned it on, turned it off. And then he finally looked at me across the desk and he said, son, you've got a, um, you've got a folksy way of communicating. You've got, it's a, you, you know, you, you've got a way of, uh, of speaking that's, uh, that's got a power to it and an effectiveness to it. And you know what? In school, in graduate school, they're going to teach you exactly the opposite. They're going to try to tame you. They're going to try to take that away from you. Don't you let them because you got it, kid. You got it. Why do I remember that? 
I don't remember what the rest of those boring teachers said in graduate school. Why do I remember that? Because, because the blessing has power, doesn't it? It has power. We need the blessing. So who's gonna get it? Is it Esau? Is it Jacob? I'm aiming for something more personal this morning. Is it you? Are you gonna get the blessing? Ready to go? All right. Before we get to the three points, let's recap this story for just a second. So the firstborn has the place in a patriarchal society, right? The oldest son gets the most inheritance. They get the mantle of family leadership. The father doted on the oldest son. I mean, everything depended on the oldest son. The family's future depended. So they got the best of everything. They got the father's attention. They got the mentoring, right? Um, Esau already had the informal blessing. What's the informal blessing? He was his father's what? Favorite. His father liked him. He's the man, man, man. He's the hunter, right? He's the tough and rugged one. Uh, apparently he's got some mad uh, gifts in the kitchen too. And um, so Esau already has that formal blessing. Isaac lays dying, right? Uh, he's infirm. He's bedbound. He's blind. It's time to pass the blessing to the one who will be the seed of the woman, the promised line of the future uh, Messiah. Isaac intends uh, to pass that blessing to Esau, but Rebecca overhears that. She has another plan, right? She wants the blessing to go to her favorite. We see some of the family dynamics, the unhealth in this family. She wants Jacob to get um, the blessing. Now, Jacob spots a flaw in the plan, right? Um, Because Esau is, he's a hairy man, Uh, but Jacob is smooth and just as a aside, God loves smooth. <laughs> and um, so she dresses him all up, you know, in, in Esau's clothes and in the, the goat skins. And, uh, and they, fool, um, they fool Isaac. Um, you know, there's tension here. Well, they pull off um, the deception. You remember when... Um, when um, um, uh, Isaac uh, says, when, when Jacob says, this won't work, this won't work. And Rebecca says, you know, he's saying, I'm going to get cursed. I'm not going to get the blessing, I'm going to get cursed. And Rebecca says, no, no, no. If, if, if this fails, I'll take the curse, right? But Jacob gets the blessing. Esau enters in. He's furious. The matter is decided. The older will serve the younger. And Esau plots to kill his brother. And Jacob is sent away to Rebecca's family. That's the story. But the question is, what's this got to do with Jesus? And what does this have to do with us, right? So you ready to go? Three points, here's number one. Let's talk about how scandalous, the scandal of the blessing of God. It's scandalous. Who gets the blessing in this passage? We know that Jacob gets the blessing because he's the good son, right? He's the good one, he's virtuous. That's the point of Christianity. We got that much down, right? If you're good, then you get the blessing of God. That's the way it works. That's the way we understand it. It's simple. Don't muck it up, right? Be good. God will bless you. Christians are the good people. That true? I'm looking at you. It's not true. Um, Listen, the truth is it's scandalous who gets the blessing. No one deserves the blessing in this story. They're all rotten. 
No one is worthy. The blessing is awarded to the unworthy, which consistently through the ages makes church-going people mad. Because we're the ones who go to church, we're the ones who tie their money, we're the ones who serve on mission fields, we're the ones who feed the poor. We do all this, and other people get the blessing. They don't do any of this stuff. We're the good people. It's scandalous who gets the blessing. Um, and what we find in this um, you know, passage is, um, just let's consider the four of them, right? Um, Esau is unworthy. Why is Esau unworthy? <clears throat> we didn't read it because it was in the previous chapter, but he's already married. And why did Abraham send Isaac away to, um, uh, to his family far away? Why? Because Abraham said, my son cannot marry a Canaanite woman. It'll ruin the future line. It'll draw them away from uh, being God-fearers, right? So what has Esau done? He's married two Hittite women, not one not only has he married an unbelieving woman, a pagan woman from a pagan family, he's married two of them. He's polygamous as well. Esau's unworthy. He forfeited the blessing already. We might forget that he sold the blessing to his brother for a bowl of stew. That's how crass he is. That's how trite he considered the privilege of the blessing. He's already given it away. Um, and then we find that at the end of this passage, he plots to kill his brother. So if you know the Bible a little bit, what is that? I mean, that's like biblical post-traumatic stress we suddenly feel. Because where did that happen already in the Bible? Yeah, Cain kills Abel. I mean, it's horrible. Brother murdering. Brother. This is Esau. He's unworthy of the blessing. So what about Isaac, the, the, the father? Is he the worthy one in this passage? It would have been impossible for Esau to marry pagan women if Isaac had objected. That's the way it was in that culture. Isaac's complicit in, in who he married. Isaac failed on his deathbed to bless all his children, which was the custom. Yes, the firstborn got the greater blessing, but all of the children were brought into, no, no, he's pulling off the secretive kind of action. Um, Isaac's blinded by his favoritism. He failed to see Esau's unworthiness. He defies God, who told him already that the older would serve the younger. And, uh, and on top of everything, this man is unusually guided by his stomach, isn't he? I mean, that's just weird um, that Isaac, uh, th this, this matters uh, to him. Um, Esau's not worthy, Isaac's not worthy. For what about Rebecca? Is she the hero? She's the, she's the chief schemer, right? She's the mastermind of the whole trickery and deceit. And then we come to the one who gets the blessing, Jacob. Jacob appears entirely bereft of character. Uh, um, it is considered, believe it or not, repugnant to mislead your dying, blind, ailing father, right? That might be a stretch for you in your ethics, but that's not actually a good thing, is it? You know, it actually says in the Levitical law that to mislead a blind man, I believe, is a capital offense um, for an Israelite. And yet, here's what we have. Um, he not only lies to his father repeatedly, but he invokes the name of God in doing it. You know what some scholars say? There is no other Old Testament figure who is as singularly unattractive as Jacob. Unworthy and despicable. And he gets the blessing. Don't you see that scandalous? 
And that's not the way we thought about it. The good people get God's blessing. Not people like this, this liar, this cheat. Um, But what do we discover in the Bible? God's grace, it's not like we factor it. It really is unmerited favor. The guilty get the blessing. His blessing and his love and his favor flow to the undeserving and the resistant, the ungrateful. It's scandalous, right? God loves Jacob. God loves Abraham. Remember Abraham tried to trade his wife twice? Tried to, give, tried to save his own skin by having his wife give herself sexually to Pharaoh? What? He's the head of this whole family. David, David's quite the um, man after God's own heart. He spots a woman bathing. He takes her. This is predatory, sexually predatory behavior. He um, fathers a child with her. So to cover his shame, his guilt, his sin against his whole country, let alone this, he has her husband who's fighting loyally for David on the front lines. He has the troops pull back away from him so he's exposed and he's killed in battle. He murders her husband, that's David. David's in the line of Christ. Jesus is called the son of, this is scandalous. Look at who God lets into the family. And you get, I mean, there's so many more we could point out, right? I mean, in the New Testament, we get, um, you know, we get the woman right at the well. Jesus likes her. He tells her, you already have five husbands and the man you're with isn't even your husband. She leaves that day having received the blessing, right? Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son of a kid who, who wants his father dead, hates his father and wants his father's money. And then when he stumbles home, a, a, a rebellious sinner, his father runs out and kisses him and welcomes his home home. It's scandalous, right? Any religious leader, any religious person who holds Jesus uh, tell that story would have said, no, no, no. They ripped their garments. That's not who God is. That is who God is. That really is who God is. Peter denied him. Paul killed God's children. They got the blessing. Does that offend you? Do you know who Jeffrey Dahmer is? He's going to live next to you in heaven. He's a serial killer. He ate his victims. Then he went and turned to Jesus and got the blessing. So I know a pastor, he tells a story, he was in like 21 years old, he's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, he's going to school, um, and he's got three jobs, and one of them is at a a small church, pretty conservative little church, where he's the youth director, one of them is at a gym, across the street from the gym is a gentlemen's club. The owner of the gym was shrewd. He gave free membership to all the girls who danced at the gentlemen's club, which meant that the gym had a lot of male members. And um, um, 
So he, he worked the front desk and he worked the smoothie bar. And when he was working, particularly, he had to give messages to his youth group on Wednesday night and on Sunday. So he was preparing when he was at work at the gym. He'd, he'd, he'd put his Bible on the counter. He'd, um, he'd had, you know, be taking notes and everything, preparing himself. And inevitably, the girls would come after their workout. They would sit there and they'd ask him what he was working on. And, and he would share. And one day, one um, woman named Sunshine, now that wasn't her real name, and he discovered that all these girls had two names, and um, they all had children, or young children. They were all drug addicted, because you had to be to, to do something so degrading every single day uh, of your life. And um, suddenly one day Sunshine says, I'd love to go to church with you. And he said, I made the biggest mistake of my life. He said, oh, great. Let's do that. And immediately he knew how this was going to go. So they drove to church on Sunday. They dropped her, her little daughter off in uh, the children's uh, uh, worship. And uh, he said the problem was Sunshine wore a sundress that was way too short. And she wore heels that were way too high. And when they walked into this little conservative church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, every eye in the place was on them. And they were all shaking their heads in disgust. He said it was, I felt so bad for her. He said the disdain of people was so palpable. He said we even sang Amazing Grace in the service. He said when it was over, um, one of the deacons came up and said, uh, we have a meeting in the pastor's office in one minute. And there for 20 minutes they dressed him down. How dare you? We live in this seedy community where people go down to the beach and they wear no clothes and we create a church where we don't have to be exposed to this kind of filth in our community. And you bring it right into our church and you're the youth director on top of that. And you're an example to our children and you come to church with a woman like that. And he said he walked out of the church and everybody was gone. She was the only one in the parking lot. She had on aviator sunglasses and tears rolling down her face and she said, that was about me, wasn't it? And he said, he lied, tried to say no. And then on the way back to, um, away from the church, he probably asked the dumbest question he's ever asked as a pe preacher. <laughs> so what'd you think of church? <laughs> and here's what she said. I have never felt more degraded in my entire life. This is a woman who dances naked in front of leering men for a living, encountered this church and the people there and said, I have never felt more degraded in my entire life. <laughs> you know what's scandalous? Us that God would love us. Proud, arrogant, self-righteous us. That's scandalous. So not only is it scandalous, I want you to know too that, gosh, the sovereignty of God just leaks out on this passage. Um, despite the remarkable amount of conspiring manipulation and scamming that goes into this whole sordid affair of the blessing, God's completely in control. Everybody has everything wrong, but God's in control. 
ultimately what works out. Everything God wants to work out. All through this mess, nobody does anything right. God advances the seed onto Jacob, on towards Jesus. No disobedience can screw up God's plan. Isn't that amazing? God is always at work. God was working even through Isaac and Esau's defiance. God was working through Jacob and Rebekah's conniving and deceit. Does that mean God thought that was good? No, it was evil, it was wrong, it was disobedience. But God works anyway. God is always at work, right? How, you know, look at what happens. Um, as an end result, Jacob has to run for his life, right? And where does he run to? He runs to Haran, 500 miles away, where his mother came from, back to the family of Abraham, back where he'd actually um, have a God-fearing, God-following wife. That's what happens. He's saved from marrying the Hittite women, the Canaanite women like his brother had, because God's always at work. Not only that, Jacob is ultimately converted uh, through this exile experience because that's what God does. That's what I want you to see. God's sovereignty is absolute. Human decisions, sin, rebellion cannot stop him. His purposes come to pass whatever we do. Our sins don't derail the plan of God. Is there a greater example in all the Bible than Jesus himself, right? So... What happens with Jesus? We have nothing but conniving and scheming, right? Judas is a disciple. He's a follower. He's in the inner circle. He, he, he pays the bills. He holds the money, right? But he's the one who turns Jesus in. He's the one who kisses his cheek in the garden. Think of Peter and his boasting. Everybody else will walk away from you, but I won't. Peter doesn't even know himself, right? He runs like the others do. Um, they take Jesus and they put him on trial. They have false witnesses, right? So you see the whole thing. It's a lie all the way through. Pilate knows he's um, innocent and yet hands him over to be killed. The Romans kill an innocent man. An utterly innocent man is railroaded. And what's the end result? Well, we're all going to hell. No. What's the end result? Salvation. He bears the burden of our sin in our place, all because of all this evil. God's aim cannot be stopped, whatever man in his rebellion does. You guys got that? So important. Absolutely important. So you're waiting to get married, you're waiting to get married, you're a young woman, and God provides this um, godly Christian man, and he marries you, and your whole family is together, and you're all sharing God is provided, God has come through, God is at work, God is faithful. Five years later, he leaves for another woman. What do you say then? God is at work. You say God is at work then. That doesn't mean God sanctioned that. That doesn't mean God's responsible for that evil. That doesn't mean any of that. God's, that's abhorrent behavior. God's angry, but he's at work. He's at work. He's at work in, um, not just in those good days, the stock market goes up, you say, oh God, you care about my retirement, I didn't have enough, look at what the stock market's done, you're awesome. And then? <laughs> and then you look in your retirement account, and it's gone. What do you say then? God, you forgot me. No, you know what you say then? God's at work. God's always at work. Do you get this? Do you understand this? 
that, that, that infertile couple, they pray and they pray and they pray and they go 10 years of being married, they never have a child, and finally they have a child, and three years later, the mom who bears the child dies of uterine cancer. God's at work in both. He's always at work. He's always advancing his kingdom. That doesn't mean we see it. We might see it five years later. We might see 10 years later what he was doing. We might never see what he's doing, but he was doing. Because he's God. Because it's his world. This is my father's world, right? So Michelle Smith, we have a missionary in the Congo. Rebels, uh, rebel army. She works a lot with the children who have been kidnapped by the rebels and turned into re- uh, soldiers, children's soldiers. And, uh, and uh, she, she does trauma care and she gets them an education and she's right in the midst of all this. Well, guess what? The rebels breached Goma in, uh, in the Congo and uh, she has had to run for her life uh, um, uh, to a neighboring country. So was God at work when she was working with the kids or is God at work when the rebels come? Both. He's always at work. He's always accomplishing his purposes. I've got a, I know a, a pastor friend who somebody, I think his wife gave him this. Beware if your wife gives you a birthday gift of a, of a flight in a glider plane. <laughs> I didn't ask for that. They take him up and uh, he's in a glider. There's a pilot, you know, it separates from the tow plane. And now you're way up in the air in a plane with no engine. And there's a pilot, you know, there's a guy who knows how to do it and he's catching the thermals and all that. And then he, t- he turns it over to my friend and he says, now you're going to fly. And he's white knuckling it, you know, and he's up there and he's, he's afraid and he's tight. Guys, just relax, relax, relax. You need to understand something. There's nothing you can do that I can't get us out of. There you go. There is a pilot. It's not you. Be still, the Bible says. Be still. And know that I am God. I am God. He's always at work. Even in this unbelievable family, these two boys, Jacob and Esau, and even in your family, and even in your marriage, and even in your health, and even in your life. There's nothing you can do that he can't get you out of. He's in work. Finally then, this blessing, how is it secured? How do you get it? What is this blessing? It is the one thing we have to have. It's make or break. It'll make your life to have the blessing. Your life will never, it will never amount to anything if you don't. The, the blessing was, it was legal. It was like a, the reading of the will. It was conferring wealth and family authority, but we know the blessing's more than that, right? It was a, it was a granting of, of, of favor, of, of affirmation and affection, which Jacob, we know, had always lacked from his father. This power of, of words of affirmation and the power of words of scorn and belittling. That's why parents, parents have power. And what has more power in the heart and life of a child? Grandparents have power. 
coaches, teachers, pastors, their words have unique power to bless or to wound. We give people our face. We give them our words. Do you know they did a study recently, they asked children, I mean this is a, a, a very large survey of asking children, if there's one thing you could change about your parents, what would it be? Across the board, by dramatic margins, the answer was, I would change this, that my parents would get their face out of their screens and give me their face. That they would give me their attention, that they would talk to me, that they would stop looking at their phones and their laptops. We like to think about how our children are affected by social media, but the primary way they're affected by social media is that their parents are intoxicated with it and addicted to it, and have stolen their faces from their children. So important. Um, you know, blessing, the power of a blessing is, is you gotta get it from someone. You know, we're told today, you should love and affirm yourself. You should be good to yourself, but you can't bless yourself. It's gotta come from outside of you, from someone in your life that has the power of blessing. That's what our hearts crave. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 27. Seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Don't hide your face from me, God. Do not turn me away. Give me your face. We gotta have it. One of the strangest experiences of my life, powerful experiences of my life, happened about two years ago. Christmas has ended. It was the first days of January. I got a... Um, email from a girl I grew up with in high school and um, she said my brother um, Dan uh, has terminal cancer and uh, probably has a short time to live and he lives in Sarasota and I'm wondering if you could make contact with him because he's not a Christian and uh, Dan was a really good friend in high school Dan was the best uh, athlete in our High school, Dan went to Wake Forest and played um, uh, defensive back. He was a punt returner. He actually made the Miami Dolphins um, football team. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan in high school was amazing. I mean, when Dan hit the pile, the whole pile went the other way in football. And when Dan could thump. Um, I played basketball with Dan every uh, Sunday afternoon. If I could ever dunk the ball on Dan, it was the greatest moment. But, but he would... Well, I can't tell you what he would do to me if I ever even tried. Um, Dan um, was successful at everything he did uh, in his life. Um, Dan went to law school. Um, Dan um, uh, made millions of dollars. Dan married a Delta stewardess. Um, Dan, um, everything he touched turned to gold. Dan... Um, um, Dan managed Charlie Crist's campaign for governor of Florida when Charlie Crist was a Republican. Um, Dan, and so this is the most remarkable thing. The most accomplished, successful, determined person I knew, I said to her, where would I find Dan? How would I get in touch with him? She said, well, it's very hard because he's homeless. Thinking, what? 
If you'd have given me a list of 100 people, he'd be the last I'd pick that, that could ever. I said, how long has he, been, has he been homeless? Five years. I said, what happened? What happened? And she said, five years ago, um, she said, our dad died. When I got to know Dan's story, I understood that his mother beat him relentlessly when she was a child. He said the worst day of his life was when his mother was converted. She became a religious zealot. He said when he was about 11 years old, it was the last time his mother tried to hit him because he caught her hand and said, you'll never touch me again. Dan's dad was his football coach. And he never affirmed him. He never got the blessing. He tried all his life to win his father's favor or approval. That's why he was so wildly successful and productive. And so what happens when his father dies? It's obvious, isn't it? There's no hope anymore for the one thing he needed, the one thing he longed for, the blessing. The well done, son, well done, I'm proud of you. He never got it and he gave up. We've got to have it. We're all little children dressed up as teachers and doctors and CPAs and military veterans longing for the blessing. So how do we get it? Do you understand that Jesus was God's favored? He was the firstborn. He had the blessing. He gave it up. It tells us in the, in the scriptures that Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse. He took the curse of God we deserve so that we could have his blessing. And when did that happen? On the cross. Jesus always refers to God as Abba, Daddy, Father, except on the cross. Because at that point he what? He lost the blessing. He wasn't the favorite. He was the curse. Jesus was our Rebecca. Remember she said, if this plot gets discovered, she said to her son, I'll bear the curse. Jesus is our Rebecca. He got the curse we deserved. He dressed us in his clothes so that when our father would draw near, he gets the aroma of his own son from us. It gives us the blessing. That's how we get it. The Father says to us, you are my beloved. Hebrews chapter 12 says that the church is the community of the firstborn. Everybody who belongs to Jesus is a firstborn. Isn't that wild? You have 10 kids. They're not all the firstborn. Everybody who belongs to the family of Jesus is God's firstborn, they're his favorite, they're his beloved, they're his cherished, they get the blessing. When I went down to Sarasota and I visited Dan, I told him about the prodigal son, and I told him about the son who runs home and all his failure, that the true blessing can only come from our heavenly father, it can't come from an earthly father, and everything he craved from his earthly father, he could have and more uh, in, in the blessing of a heavenly father who would kiss him and welcome him, and he could not believe it. He'd never, ever heard anything like that in his life. 
I gave him a book called The Prodigal God. He read it three times right away. He started listening to every sermon from this church. When I'd call him every week, we'd go over the sermon and he would have written down word for word, note after note, question after question he wanted to ask me. And this went on for five months until he died. And when he opened his eyes on the other side of death, he did so as a firstborn. Well done, Dan. Well done. So this week, when you sit down at the Thanksgiving table to recount your blessings, consider that the sweetest of all is that you have your Father's face. And he's nuts about you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.